This Washington Post Live podcast is sponsored by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, supporting journalistic excellence in the digital age. Learn more about Knight Foundation at kf.org. You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. On April 4th, the Washington Post brought together journalists, advocates, and digital innovators to examine the state of local news and efforts to revitalize and protect it. Congressional leaders on both sides of the aisle are joining forces to protect local news as the digital space becomes increasingly dominated by social media platforms. In this segment, two members of the House Judiciary Committee discuss their legislative solution to saving local journalism. Let's listen. Okay, time for panel two. Again, I'm Jonathan Capehart, opinion writer here at the Washington Post. And I'm joined by, as I randomly said, two members of Congress, but these are two important members of Congress who are members of the House Judiciary Committee. Congressman Doug Collins of Georgia is a Republican, and he is the ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee. And sitting right next to me is Congressman David Cicilline. He is a Democrat and on, from Rhode Island, sorry, Congressman, and the chairman of the House Subcommittee on Antitrust, Commercial, and Administrative Law. Congressman, thank you very much for being here. Glad to be here. Um, it was announced this week that you're both co-sponsoring a piece of legislation called the Journalism Competition and Preservation Act. Why are you joining forces on this issue and what exactly are you trying to accomplish? Well, this legislation, and I'm very proud to be doing it with uh, my friend and colleague, uh, Doug Collins, will create a safe harbor, really an opportunity for local journalists, online publishers, uh, to band together for purposes of negotiating with the two large technology platforms. It grows out of a recognition that we need to do something to give local media, local news publishers, the ability to survive. You know, that we've seen uh, a significant decline over the last decade of about 45% uh, of the jobs in the newspaper industry. Over the last year, Facebook and Google have generated revenues of about $60 billion. Uh, over the last several years, uh, the, the revenues for, for news publishers is down about $31 billion. So you're seeing this shift of all of the revenue, or a big part of the revenue, to these two large technology platforms. And they occupy such a big dominant place in the marketplace that they essentially dictate to local news publishers and content producers the terms of using their content in a way that is making it impossible for them to survive. So this bill will essentially say, for a limited period of time, we're going to authorize you to work together to level the playing field so you can negotiate in a way that allows you to survive. Well, I think the biggest thing is, is it goes back to what we do here in Washington. That's actually, there is legislation that goes on, and, and that's sort of crazy. If you watch the Judiciary Committee, that doesn't always happen. I'm not typically this quiet and serene, as you could well take, but when we find this uh, areas of opportunity for legislation, I did this in the last Congress with criminal justice reform with uh, Music Modernization Act. What this actually does, though, is gives a fairness issue. You know, from my perspective, I'm not worried about, you know, big being bad. That's not a, pr a process for me. Facebook, Google, these are great disruptive platforms that have been there and changed really oh, the way a lot of us get our uh, content and our news. But the question is, how in that disruption did we take what was existing and has it made it unfair or is it at least less competitive for those that don't have that access but could if we gave them a, an antitrust exemption, if we gave them that ability? Because for me, I serve northeast Georgia, which is a right on the edge of Atlanta, so we have a little bit of suburban but we go into the mountains, which is very rural, 
And we, most of my counties, if they have a paper, they have one, or it's usually owned by several. And we've seen just a you know 20% decline in newspapers over uh, the last you know 10 to 15 years. And when you talk about that, you're looking at the dearth of news or news desert, if you would. Right. So this is something we're trying to you know to look at and fix. And I appreciate you know the opportunity to partner. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the the phrase news desert because I was going to ask you how has this affected the people in your district? Is it something that is so concerning that you have people in your district calling up and saying, do something about this? Uh, necessarily calling up, I think this is, and this is what makes it interesting for the bill. They don't necessarily call up because there's been a transition, but what we are finding is local advertisers, local uh, uh, you know, businesses and stuff who depend on that local newspaper. I, I have, I love being a congressman from a very rural district because I can go into like one of my counties and open the local paper. Not only do I see who's preaching revival this week and who, you know, who died, but I can also see the local uh, businesses. This is where it's became real for our, for them to stay in business is not skimming that news where they can get that actual local content instead of it just being who gets the scores on, on the weekend. And I talked to one of my local publishers just the other day about this and he said that they've had to adapt. They're, they're doing that. But I have a real practical thing. My father uh, had, the, and I won't name the, the, the publications, but what he found was is he was getting two publications, two newspapers every day. He finally went down to one. He chose the local one over the one that was he was getting because basically the local was just taking some of the same articles from the other one, but he was at least getting that local content. So that's mm. where it means a lot to people. But I also think people are seeing examples of it in newspapers all over the country when they see massive layoffs or newspapers that are closing. I mean, the Providence Journal, which is uh, the newspaper in my home state, um, is a fraction of the size it was one, at one time, and it's because they're trying to compete in this market that's not working. And I think what is so alarming to folks is this is not just kind of the sale of widgets. Like if the market doesn't work and widgets don't exist or not as good as price, this is about access to reliable, trustworthy information that is essential to a functioning democracy to hold local government and to state government and national government accountable, to hold power to account, to expose corruption. I mean, all the things that the media does so importantly is threatened by this marketplace which is not functioning properly with real consequences, not just, again, a commercial sale of a widget, but like the survival of our democracy. Well, Congressman Cicilline, this month you wrote a letter to the Federal Trade Commission asking that they open an investigation into whether Facebook has broken antitrust laws. Can you lay out your case this morning and why it would be good, a good thing for local news, uh, for the local news landscape in the country? Well, I think there, there's no question that Facebook has uh, violated a number, of their, a number of their legal obligations with the consent decrees. They've engaged in discriminatory practices that favor their platform. They've not protected the privacy of consumers that use their platform. They've shared or allowed to be shared uh, personal data that was under their control that ought to have been under the control of the consumer. Part of this is because they control such a dominant place in, in the market. And, uh, you know, if you think about in the context of the news media, two, about two-thirds of Americans get their news through two platforms, Facebook and Google. So they have enormous power in the marketplace as real gatekeepers to information. So I think we've got to look at the antitrust implications of that. Do our antitrust statutes work today in the way they were designed? I mean, they were written mostly during the railroad monopolies, a very different economy. So I think this is a moment to do a top to bottom examination of do we need to update and modernize our statutes so that we really are creating an environment for good competition that drives down costs, creates more 
choices uh, sparks innovation, and I think we're seeing just the opposite with a lot of Facebook's uh, behavior. Well, Senator Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts, also a candidate for president uh, in 2020, said that she wants to break up the tech companies. Is this what you're you're gunning for? No, I mean, I think it's too early to say that. I think there's a lot we can be doing to create competition-based solutions to deal with the size of these platforms. I do think we have to look at some of the acquisitions they've made. You know, it sort of is a practice when they see a competitor, they buy them up and crush them or incorporate them. So I think we be, ought to be looking at some of those things. Uh, but I think we have a lot we can do to be to put in place good regulations that will promote competition, get the markets to work. I, I think that, that we ought to do that first. What do you think, Congressman? I, I think it's a, it's a running for president overreaction, in all fairness. If you broke up these Google or Facebook, what are you breaking up? We're not going back to the old days. Well, okay, well, the East Coast will take these hundred trains, the West Coast will take these hundred trains, and, the, we'll have, and you're having separate companies, or even the baby bells, if you want to go back to that. You're, you're taking intellectual property and, and trying to figure out how that would then, you know, work out. Look, I want to make it very clear. I'm not, uh, I do not believe Facebook or Google or any of these larger Twitter or others to be, to be evil. In fact, I think they're, they're a great thing that has happened. The question is, how do we take our economy as it exists, and how do we now blend those in such a predominance that 10 years ago we would not be sitting in this stage talking about this. This is this is such a, an interesting phenomenon. That's why this bill for me was a first step to say let's see if we can uh, bring fairness and especially to our smaller, our local papers, our regional papers to say let's at least give them the ability to band together so that they can work to get paid and get their ad revenues from stuff from their content, which I value greatly. Intellectual property is something we don't talk enough about, frankly, in our Judiciary Committee, because that is our economy. That is the basis of our new uh, thoughts, that we got our Googles and our Facebooks and our Twitters and our local papers and our national papers. So this is, for me, is saying, how do we do this without going in and saying, just because they're big, they're bad. In fact, I reject that. I simply say, how can we look at the economy to scale and make sure that there's a fair playing field Trust. Yeah, I would just disagree slightly. I, I, I do think we have to acknowledge some of the behavior of these large platforms, particularly Facebook, is actually bad. Uh, they violated legal uh, obligations and consent decrees and all the other things I've already mentioned. So I do think the newspaper bill is an opportunity to address one issue as it relates to news and the uh, production of news and protecting uh, the ability of diverse uh, local media to thrive and exist, which is essential to our democracy. It, but it's a symptom of a much larger problem, and that is this tremendous concentration of economic power in these large uh, platforms, and you know, tremendous concentrations of economic power in other areas. That is a broad antitrust challenge, and I think we have a lot of work to do uh, to take that on in a serious way. It ought to be bipartisan. I think it will be because I think people understand competition and choice and innovation are important to our economy, and and these uh, these concentrations of economic power have often resulted in tremendous concentrations of political power, which makes change in this space sometimes difficult. Which that last comment is really interesting, from, especially from our perspective, a conservative perspective in, in regard to this, which has been a lot of discussion lately. But I think the interesting thing is, is we're on two separate trains, and, and, and Dave and I are not on different trains here. I believe that there's privacy issues and other things. That's another discussion on another day. What we're looking at here, and if there are issues among any institutions holding a lot of data and how they're selling that, because that's what they're marketing. That's their value. Mm -hmm. Their value is not what they give you on your search. What they value is, is how they're able to sell to advertisers what you are putting in there on what you do. So those are two different issues. I agree we need to look at that. I'm not turning a blind eye to things that we would look at. But this gives us a chance to look at the marketplace itself for free enterprise and for marketplace for our local news so that we can have an informed electorate. Mm -hmm. Let me get your reaction to something that Mark Zuckerberg wrote 
uh, in an op-ed for the Washington Post this week. In it, he calls for more regulation uh, of the Internet and hones in on four areas, harmful content, election integrity, privacy, and data portability. Do you think this is, is an attempt to take control and steamroll the process, getting ahead of you in Congress regulating him slash them, Facebook and members, tech, uh, tech companies? Well, I, I, from, from my perspective, I think it's a little rich to have Mark Zuckerberg try to give us advice about how Facebook ought to be, uh, be regulated because, uh, you know, everything he suggested, uh, lots of other folks have suggested in stronger terms much long ago. And the reality is Facebook has demonstrated unequivocally that it is not capable of regulating itself. Uh, it has been a bad actor in some very fundamental ways. And while I appreciate that uh, Mr. Zuckerberg is sort of aware of the growing sentiment across the country that Facebook needs to be held accountable and needs to be regulated in a way that protects data privacy, that empowers people to actually have control over their own data, that uh, that prevents that platform being used to uh, kind of promote f uh, false information and interfere with uh, our democratic institutions. It's good he acknowledges kind of the sentiment out there, but I do not expect that we're going to rely on Mr. Zuckerberg to put together the proposals to regulate himself. Well, I mean, is it not a good is it not a good thing that no. Zuckerberg recognizes well, that I mean, it'd be a better thing if, to be regulated? It'd be a better thing if he behaved, his company behaved differently. Uh, I'm grateful he's writing nice op-eds, but I think this is a serious problem that requires serious congressional attention. Uh, we're going to do it, uh, and I think we'll encourage the industry to be part of the conversation and help us develop the best solutions, but it's going to be done by the Congress and not by Mr. Zuckerberg, by his well, past conduct. Yeah. Well, I think, that, and playing off of that, I think, though, but we, we look at this, and again, we've got to be careful here. We build straw men to tear down. And I, and I think when we understand this, you, you, you have the problems and you have this, which, which many of us have looked at and say, how do you affect this in the economy? But what I'm very fearful of, and, and for many of us here today, and we talked about this when we did music modernization, we've done this, is we've got to make sure that we're not fixing our, 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 fixing our itch right this second. Too many times in Congress, we go down this path of let's run to the floor with both Democrats and Republicans, let's fix the itch that we see right now without looking at what does it look like five, ten years down the line. And if we understand this, I'm glad that they're coming to the table. I've had my issues with them on, on content piracy. Everything. These are all discussions that need to be had. These are not small startups anymore. These are dominant players in the marketplace. They have make billions of dollars. They make a lot of money. They have a lot of good lawyers. They understand this. Them coming to the table in this process is good, but if we simply scratch the itch that makes us feel good right now, we're going to miss the, the bigger picture, and then we're going to be dealing with more problems down the line. All right, let's go to another punching bag. Let's leave Mark Zuckerberg aside and, and go um, to the committee that you're on, the House Judiciary Committee. I would be negligent if I did not ask you. <laughs> Journalistically negligent. Yes, yes. yes. If not asking you about, about the Mueller report. Hmm? Our Kumbaya committee. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So your committee voted yesterday to authorize subpoenas to get the Mueller, the, to get the Mueller report, the full report. What comes next? And, and how far, Congressman Cicilline, how far are the Democrats willing to go on this and Congressman Collins 
Uh, how far will Republicans go to stop it? I'll start with you, Congressman. Well, look, this is an effort by the Democrats uh, to get the contents of the full Mueller report. Uh, we are argued yesterday that this has been the practice, whether it was in the Jaworski uh, scenario or in the Ken Starr report, whether it was independent counsel or special counsel, the Starr report was delivered immediately upon its completion to Congress along with 17 boxes of documents that supported the contents of that report. Congress wasn't required to ask for it. They went to court to get the authority for the grand jury testimony, and it was produced. This is an investigation which was begun because our democracy was attacked by a foreign adversary. It's an investigation which was begun on behalf of the American people, paid for by the American people. We have fought hard to protect Mr. Mueller so he could complete his work. We have a right as Congress to see the full contents of that report immediately, and the American people have a right to see as much of it as humanly possible, obviously redacting what has to be redacted for sources and methods and classified material. But we see classified documents all the time. We can go do that in a classified setting and see it. We are the, the body that's responsible for taking action if there's misconduct by the president, not the attorney general. And so this report, the Democrats on the committee are prepared to be issued, authorize the, the chairman to uh, issue a subpoena to compel its production. Uh, we're hopeful the attorney general will reconsider his view and turn it over quickly. If he doesn't, we're prepared to execute the subpoena and compel production of the report. The American people deserve to know the truth, to know all the facts, and to recognize that Congress understands no one is above the law. Congressman, Congressman Collins, I want to get your reaction to what Congressman Cicilline said, but I, I want to ask you to uh, respond in that. Do you think uh, Special Counsel Mueller should be uh, called up to the Hill to testify? I think at some point that'll probably be the, the case that happens. I, I think here's the interesting thing. The, the, what we did yesterday was, again, a preemptive issue before we went out of town. This is a, an issue that the, Bill Barr has said, I'm going to release the report under the regulations that he has. We keep conflating these issues. Go back to Jaworski, go back to Starr. Those are two different issues under two different uh, set out uh, statements as you go forward. The Mueller report will come out, whether you like it or not, is going to come out, and it's going to come out under the regulations set forth not by Republicans, but by Janet Reno, Justice Department, when she, after the Starr report, said, we don't like the way this happened. In fact, my chairman, actually, during that time, said he didn't like the way it happened. So they put this together. He's done everything by that regulatory book. My question is, is and what I would have said yesterday was, it's interesting. We took the Mueller report and, and saying, Bill Barr, we want this information to come. I, d I agree with, with uh, Mr. Sleeney's very measured discussion right here about what he wanted to see, but we've had my chairman and others who say, we just want to see it all unredacted. That's a whole different issue, which is what we didn't vote on two weeks ago, even on the floor. But what we have to understand is, is, is coming forward, get this report. After you get the report, then you say, if you don't like it, then come to the, the floor with subpoenas. Then come to the, to the committee and say, we didn't get what we wanted. Let's put a subpoena out there and do it. What we're doing now is before we ever get the report, we're asking for subpoena and put five individuals who have all, two of which have gave over 3,000 documents to the committee, three of which have said, we don't have the documents you're requesting. But so to me, you lost sort of your political high ground here, or moral ground here, when you didn't just sit with the Mueller report, which I thought was preemptive anyway. But then you added five people in who all had close connections to the president. That just simply tells me you wanted the press to report that we're going to issue subpoenas for five people close to the president before we go out of town for spring break to smear the president. That's the problem I had with yesterday. 
Congressman Cicilline, I see you look, shaking your it, head. Yeah, it, look, this, this is not about smearing anybody. This is about finding the facts. We have a constitutional obligation to do oversight. This is about honoring the practice that has been on. The, the responsibility of the Judiciary Committee has not changed. We are the committee that has oversight responsibility. If Mr. Barr should have turned the report over already, we can, we should have the full contents and all the supporting material, and then we can have a long discussion about what needs to be redacted or not released to the public because it protects sources and methods or uh, another investigation. But the public has a right to know what's in that report. And, we ought to know that, and we shouldn't have to wait for Mr. Barr to give us the pieces that he wants to give us or a summary of his interpretation of it. We're grown men and women. We can do that ourselves. You That's know, what we're going to have to do. You know what's amazing to me, though, is, is up until last weekend, Mr. Mueller's uh, investigation was the most gold standard, and Bill Barr was a great man. It still man. is. But no, no, Bill Barr was a great no man. No one said Bill Barr was a great man. Uh, we all until, said we trust Mr. Mueller. We'd like to see his report. We've all been saying we can't oh. make a decision until we know what the report says, we're still waiting for it. So Bill Barr, the hand-picked puppet of the president, which has been out of the mouths of Democrats, Mr. Barr, who is the hand-picked and, and has won the integrity of question on the floor by Mr. Yeah. Give me a break. I, th I think that's right. I think, right. But, just, just to you know, make clear, I think, you know, Democrats have raised real concerns about Mr. Barr's writing a 17-page memo in which he argues no president <laughs> can obstruct justice uh, because they're in charge of the Justice Department, catches the attention of the president, they say, you're hired. Yeah. And lo and behold, he delivers. He says, and, I don't know. And, so, okay, and you're going to have the, and, yeah. and what? And, and, but we're going to work together on the journals of Bill Reagan. Journal of Bill we're good. We're good. <laughs> and okay. with that, we'll leave it there. Congressman <laughs> Collins, Congressman Cicilline, thank you very much. Thanks, Great. Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.